We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. happening everybody welcome into your tuesday january 31st the first month of 2023 is somehow already gone i hope this podcast finds you well i hope you are uh, having a great tuesday we have a great episode here on the obr film breakdown i'm your host jake burns we had a really fun episode recapping the nfc afc championship games with brad ward just yesterday so go back and check that one i was really long but we broke down those games talked about a lot of the storylines and then dug into um, the Browns defensive line performances, which again, to me were so, I mean, w- what nice things do you really have to say about the D line? But the fun discussion off of that is obviously what goes into how do they reshape this thing? What do they need? And that 2023 early outlook, which we will get more granular, but the early outlook is what we're talking about with the defense, especially as it pertains to Jim Schwartz and what he could p- possibly change. So we're going to do the same thing with defensive backs today. We'll finish up with linebackers, special teams tomorrow. We're going to do the same thing with DBs. We have Quincy Carrier here, who's phenomenal. YouTube channels got everything you need. If you're a Cleveland guy, you got all your Cleveland Browns coverage. It's got your Cavs coverage. It's got the AFC North. It's got everything, man. He's, he's doing a fantastic job. I always put the link to his YouTube and he's got his link tree on, on Twitter as well. So, Quincy, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate your uh, your input anytime we can get it, man. Oh, no problem, man. I'm happy to be on. I thought I would come to you first with um, some, some, some phenomenon that drives me nuts on social, which is somebody will have an opinion. And there were a couple of opinions that were just hilarious to me because you, you sort of find yourself, all it takes is following one guy. I'm sure you know this. Follow one person who's in a different market of, of like a different team Twitter. And, you, you know, there's some crossover. I follow this guy to see what this team's doing, whatever, whatever. I, a couple things stood out. The NFL conspiracy theory stuff yesterday was hilarious where they think the NFL's rigged and look at the holding call on this play. Can't believe they didn't call this. Let's look at this snap. Mm-hmm. Three different holdings. Look, which one do you want to pick? And, like, you'll post that, and then you'll have somebody who actually played the game. And, and sometimes, Quince, you'll get these guys who actually were Hall of Famers who will say, no, actually, here's why it's not holding whatever whatever there was another one i saw from the 49ers side where they're pissed off at kyle shanahan and i i i find it hilarious for anybody to be mad at kyle shanahan they're going crazy over there and it's like do you guys know how good you have it let's just it's just funny to watch there's two there's two factions i find the funniest green bay quarterback twitter 
and they have spoiled bunch and San Francisco Kyle Shanahan coaching Twitter and like they're blaming him for for really blaming him for leaving Tyler Croft one on one on a on a long developing play action throw again the 49ers second in explosive pass rate this year uh, on Hassan Reddick and Hassan Reddick gets there by an, an inch uh, uh, making the play and Joe Thomas responded to that one too among several others who were like well hey man if you want him to do play action sometimes you're gonna yeah. have to leave a tight end in to block and block but n- n- I noticed man like nobody responds when you put out your tweet you get your get your takeoff you get these people who come in and, and say well well actually it was another one funny one today Quincy too this Pittsburgh account is like, well, you know, if I'm sorry, I almost, I, I literally audibly laughed this morning where it said like, you know, Kenny Pickett is just a better fourth quarter version. And that's where Joe Burrow has to figure it out. Like Kenny Pickett did. <laughs> it was so funny. And they got so defensive about it called everybody who disagree with them a sheep. I find that funny. The people who are like, Hey man, your opinion just sucked. You know, it doesn't make me a sheep because I can see the obvious and you can't opinion just sucks but anyway they will never address it they'll just move on it's like hey what do we ever learn do you ever learn or is the is the high the the endorphin that you get from chasing that that tweet that you think is going to get some some people riled up is that worth it so i don't know man i there's some there's some goofy stuff that goes on in the circle but i find it just so funny to be like none of them ever circle back and is like you know what hall of famer you got a point i'll take that tweet down it never happens never happens yeah, and look, it's somebody who I think I was tweeting something about the stadium not being that hard to kick in, and then I got I was the recipient of a Joe Thomas retweet once about nah, it's actually really hard, and I was like, ah, oh, I guess I gotta take your word for it, right? Um, <laughs> some people just don't want to just admit they're wrong. Like a lot of Twitter is people mad at their favorite team because they feel like their team's not right in the way that they demanded that the team be right in, right? Like how many times have you seen people cheer for their take more than they're cheering for like the actual team? It's just this, I think we can blame it on social media because we see it because of social media. I don't know if it's necessarily because of it, but it's this weird thing where like personal pride and when we get into these arguments and since we can get into these arguments with anybody, they get real intense. And it's like when things leave your bubble, right? Like I spend a lot of time in the AFC North bubble and I'm around Bengals fans. And I thought it was like, I lost my mind on the last podcast I did because I was like, the whole conversation about this chiefs Bengals game was structured as if one the Chiefs did not have the better quarterback, which they do. And two, as if the other quarterback wasn't Patrick LeVon Mahomes. You know what I mean? Like, it was like yeah. this this disconnect of like, hey, man, we got this and we're going to be able to do this. I'm like, the, it's Pat Mahomes. Well, his ankles hurt. I don't care. That's Pat Mahomes. You know, like when Jordan has a hurt ankle, does anybody care? Does anybody think he's slowing down? No. Pat Mahomes, is, is he, he is so close to being football Jordan like I've never seen somebody do stuff that he does with the ease that he does it people are talking to me about oh the stuff that Pat Mahomes can't do or they they haven't seen him do I'm like no he can do it he did it they were like he can't throw quick um out the pocket yeah he did it like he threw for 326 yards on one ankle so you know it's it's just we get wrapped up into these bubbles because it's so much easier to have access to more people in it and i think Mm -hmm. that leads to us incubating some really bad takes that don't stand up to outside scrutiny and what you see when stuff like that happens and those things get exposed is you have people who are going to look at that and go oh man that's a bad take 
let me get off of that boat. Or they're going to go and double down and just find more people that agree with them. Because that's the thing. You never lose on the internet because, yeah, Joe Thomas disagrees with you. Yes, it's Hall of Famer Joe Thomas that should shut down the argument. But some people don't see it that way. They just see it as one person that disagreed with them, no matter how yeah. qualified the disagreement is. Right? Exactly. I saw another one that was like a smart guy who, who covers the Titans, I think does a good job. And I don't need to throw names out, but like. He was like that ball actually from Purdy wasn't a fumble. And I was trying to follow the logic of how on earth can you say because the arm was moving forward, it hits the ball. Like I've never seen a more <laughs> cut and dry, that's a fumble. And he was arguing the rule book. And I'm like, brother in Christ, like what are you talking about? The arm is the the football is clearly dislodged before any motion forward happens. And in real time, looks. I know that's in in real time, I was like, oh, that's an incomplete pass until you slow it down and you see that some by some weird miracle, I guess is not the right word, but some weird occurrence, his arm actually in the slingshot forward, the the, the wrist hits it. It was really weird yeah. how it worked out, but it was very clearly a fumble. And it's like, man, the takes that are coming out of out of these can't like I just don't. These things are so simple. And, and yet these people are trying to I don't know, man, it's just a weird landscape. And today's Same Pittsburgh people. thing was so weird, man. So weird. Like, how can you uh, how can you sit there and watch seven touchdown, nine interception, Kenny Pickett and try to say he's even yeah. in the conversation with Joe Burrow? And to your point about Cincy people with KC and Mahomes, who's put together, well, he's, he could drop dead right now and be a Hall of Famer. Like, he's just that dude. He's been that great. It's just it's a weird landscape right now, man. Yeah. And like. When you bring up all those things and like how people kind of like look at these uh, penalty calls and, and discuss them and they're very much wrong on them, it kind of makes me give slack to referees because I'm like, now nah, we just be wrong and mad all the time on here sometimes. You know what I mean? Like there's some stuff that they are wrong about and then people really get on that. But a lot of the stuff people get upset about. Nah, it's in the area of where that could be called a hold or where that could be called this, you know, like the yeah, the third and nine replay that wasn't even a big deal because they ended up punting anyway. There's like two straight punts after that. Um, you know, they, they, they tried to stop the play. Like, if you want to argue that they should like have some a button that they can hit and it turns the whole stadium red to let everybody know that the play's over and don't stop yeah. snap the ball, maybe you can argue for that, but like it's not a conspiracy. You know what I mean? Like, no, they no. they hit or, Pat Mahomes late. Like it just was what it was. That exactly right. Like yeah, I mean I feel bad for Joseph Asai for sure, but like, man, he's two steps out of bounds. Like you you there's not he he was wrong. There's nothing about it. You know I get to your point about the third and nine. It sucks, but it's like, do you want the officials to get together and be like, well, you know, the play kind of went off. We can just gloss over this. It didn't. It's not a big deal. We'll just roll past it, and it doesn't yeah, work. Kansas City fans would have a legitimate argument to say that they got screwed. You know, and it's yeah. whenever we talk about like refs screwing each other, I always remember being in school in Youngstown and watching people who cheer for the Patriots argue with people who cheer for the Steelers that the league is treating them both unfairly. Yeah, that's always the funny thing. And two, <laughs> if you think it's a rigged league and it's all pre, why are you watching? Like, what do you, what do you, what are you watching for? Like, that's the thing that amazes me is. They'll claim people will claim this is all predetermined. The NFL got what they wanted. They did it. Then why are you watching, brother? Like, what's what? What are you getting out of it then? Like, it's the stupidest thing to me. It's so paradoxical. But you would um, think they would be better at rigging it. You know what you, I mean? You like, really, you, you, you would think they would, would. The Cowboys would not be the the unserious team that they are in the playoffs if they, the NFL wanted their way. Well, there's two things that I want to hit on before we shift because that that conversation could just be laughable for hours. Is the first thing is the locker room conspiracy stuff like i think it's funny 
it, there's two there's two buzzwords that you I'm sure agree with me on here, and I'm not sure anybody can disagree that drive me nuts. Discipline slash undiscipline. It's the funniest thing in the world. Um, and then the uh, culture, the culture of the of the locker room. Those are two big buzzwords when your team is losing. Hey, when your team is losing, they're undisciplined. Did the 49ers look disciplined to you yesterday? No, didn't look very disciplined. Was the oh, Joseph Asai play disciplined? Nah, not, not very disciplined. So are you going to? You gonna jump all over the coach for that? Like th- that's the thing that's amazing to me. The 49ers reeled off what 12, 13 in a row, you know, but they're clearly frustrated. Things aren't going their way, so they're making a bunch of mis- frustration penalties. And that's the thing. Like Josh Allen said the other day uh, after the Bills' loss, this energy thing, another buzzword, uh, Quincy. This energy got to have your energy up. Well, execution breeds energy. When you're mm-hmm. not executing as a team. You know, uh, whether it's just as simple as we're not doing the things that the play is designed to do, thus not getting first down, so on and so forth. The energy's low. When you're not succeeding, your energy is low. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's a, it's an undeniable fact. And you can be like, well, you got to create it. And, and we're like, okay, maybe a little bit, but you can't just conjure up energy that comes from winning. Like the, 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 the feeling of succeeding is the is the ultimate multiplier of everything right and like Mm -hmm. that piggybacks into the undisciplined stuff which people will be like well you know they lost because they're undisciplined well no shit man that's pretty cut and dry and every team goes that way and it was funny because you know you had put this out late at late at night there after the game because it was that, that that clip in the tunnel of jermaine pratt who's a heck of a linebacker uh in the in the locker room walking in having a confrontation i don't know i don't know if Joseph Osai was near him, but he was screaming he was right in front about it. Was he right in front of him? I wasn't yeah. sure if he was. He's like, you can't touch the quarterback, you know, and he's screaming. And then you'll see that, which is clearly like, OK, that's a pretty frustrated guy. It's a huge confrontation. But you also see Mike, Mike Daniels or whatever that I, I forget there. BJ Hill, maybe I'm not sure which which D tackle it was that was standing in the press conference with him and kind of directing goofy questions away from him that are sort of obvious rhetorical questions. But like it's just funny how th- this idea of there's no culture in a locker room. It's always when they're losing. Like, mm-hmm. the, find me a losing locker room that has great culture, and I, that'll be the first one I've ever seen. Because losing brings out the worst in everyone, man. And your point was spot on. That like, hey, go go look at every losing locker room, and you're going to find confrontation. It just brings out anger and and all the things that come with losing, which is the worst part of a professional athlete's career is losing yeah and it's like these are not just regularly competitive people these are ultra like the most competitive of the most competitive people in their in their uh in their field and they're all trained to do one thing which is to win football games and when you don't the results ugly and i think some of this is the 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 lack of proximity that a lot of people have to the reality of what a football locker room is like you've you've been close to some locker rooms i've been in close enough proximity to locker rooms to know that it's ugly <laughs> like the day-to-day stuff it don't matter who the team is it's ugly you ever hear some of the stuff that comes out about Steelers um even when they're playing well in that camp I mean like there's the big stuff like uh Antonio Brown and all that like that gets publicized but I mean the uglier stuff is like okay there was, there's like a big fight before practice that Mike Tomlin like wanted to make sure has happened because somebody was with somebody else's girlfriend or something like that. Like that kind of stuff happens. Like the stuff that happens behind the scenes 
in NFL locker rooms. It's just ugly. And when it gets out, it's going to make anybody look bad because the league tries so hard to make sure that that image is not out there. But we use these buzzwords like losing culture and winning culture. And it's interesting, right? Cincinnati and and, uh, and the 49ers had great culture for 10 plus weeks because they didn't lose a game. Right. You know, all of a sudden they lose a game. Now it's undisciplined. You know what I mean? Yeah, now, now, exactly. now they're not focused. They didn't come out ready to win. And to your point about execution breeds energy. I try to relate things to things that people do in their day to day lives or people that like that can relate to it. And the thing I always come back to is like, let's say you go to the rec and you play basketball and you take your shots right to start off the warm up and you miss like 20 shots in a row. We've all had it. We're not professionals. We're not very good at at basketball, right? If we're not playing anywhere and you miss like your first 10 shots, you're just not going to want to play that much after that, right? Or if you go out in the court and you make your first couple shots and you feel good, all of a sudden you're hustling back down, you're playing good defense. People want to do things well when they're doing things well. Nobody wants to try to do things well when they're not doing it well, because mentally that's a hurdle, right? You just have to work over it. Um, And even if you do find a way to manifest some energy over it, it's not the same zone as making the points, you know. And even if you do find a way to have energy, energy is cool. If you ain't catching the ball and scoring points, it don't matter how much energy you lose with. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you have to execute at some point in time. So, you know, energy is great. You know, like were we really getting all jacked up when Perrion Winfrey was doing the scream and yelling over the middle of the ball because he got a TFL? I'm in the middle of the game, but we're down like 21 points. Like, was that really hyping us up? Or would it have been better if we were just like up by three? You know, I feel like we all know the answer. It's the truth. You know, it's why they used to, uh, even though the big guys, they they, got to give the post guy touches every now and again. Got to keep them engaged, right? But the, the, the energy thing is so true, though. It all comes from. You get again. Find me teams that are bad, losing constantly with 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 lack of talent. And tell me that those are just going to be the most energized and uh, the best culture to be. That's not how it goes. And if you think that and you think it should manifest some return away from that, some magical solution to that, then you've never been in a locker room where you're not very good. And hey, shout out to you if you've been in only locker rooms that win in your whatever endeavor you live in. But I've been in some where we don't win and it is terrible it is no fun no matter what you think or what little moral victories you can try to find i've been in great locker rooms where we went where we win everything and i've been in bad locker rooms where we win nothing and there is no place you there is no locker room you get in and out of after practice quicker than a winless locker room man you hit the locker you change the clothes and you're gone that reminds me i was a part of a baseball team once that won two games and one in in the entire season and yep Everybody fought everybody. All the time. All <laughs> the time. Everybody fought everybody. Yep. We were tired of everybody in that room. There was just, it could have been the greatest baseball manager of all time walking to that room. It wouldn't have changed nothing. We stunk. We weren't good. <laughs> I lost four high school football games, regular season games, my entire high school career. And then I go to my college first year. We go 0 and 10. I've, I was ready to give up the sport. I was ready to give up. The sport after my freshman year. Like, what am I doing here? This is miserable. These guys oh, hate especially each other. football. Like oh, football is a, 
Because yeah, like I'm baseball, scared. you lose, you not hurt. You you don't risk catastrophic damage to your body for the rest of your hmm. life. You go zero and ten for football. That don't stop the damage. It probably inflicts more because dudes are. You know, we just said the execution creates energy. So now you are the recipient of all the energy. Meanwhile, you have none of it. It is a none. miserable existence. Yeah. It is it was the I've never questioned caring about football more than that that singular year of my life. So yeah, I just think that conversation is necessary because there's these tropes that happen within fans and these buzzwords and undisciplined like, okay, did they execute? Are they winning? You're probably seeing a bunch of energy. And you think this is the best coach team ever, right? But if they're losing, is probably no energy. And there's probably a bunch of undisciplined looking plays to you because it looks undisciplined to you, but that guy just flat out got beat. Now there's Trent Williams chucking a, a DB 13 yards off of a file. That's a little different, but, frustration. you know, yeah, frustration. <laughs> but but there's like these, these three people are undisciplined. And it's like, hey, man, he just got beat to the spot, right? He mm -hmm. just, you know, th there's little, there's, it all adds up. But I think it's an important conversation. The only thing before we move on, I got to say at this point with the big, the only real Browns news of the day is Wyatt Teller makes the pro bowl as an alternate. And uh, I don't know if he has any bonuses tied to that. If he does shout out to him, that works out I, at this point. Are they just going through like the Madden overall rating and being like, well, we lost this guard. Who's the next up? Oh, 86 overall Wyatt Teller run him in. Let's do it. Like I, I like Wyatt. I think he's going to have a better year next year than this year as he dealt with the end. He was very good this year. There's no way you can't, call him a pro bowler right i mean come on it's a good thing he doesn't actually have the block there right but i think <laughs> i think what they do i'm not saying like this but it feels like what they do is they go and they say okay this guy doesn't want to go this guy doesn't want to go hey man who came last year why yeah. yeah let's throw why he was in there last year right like nobody's gonna blink an eye at that you know uh, I, I don't know what the criteria is, but I can't imagine that it's a serious criteria. I mean, like, remember Jarvis Landry was like a pro bowler last year. Something yeah, they, they, like they do like they, they get your name and you get some VIP points on the card. And then they're like, all right, we got a, you know, bronze, silver medal, uh, sil silver earnings level uh, Jarvis Landry. Let's bring Jarvis in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jarvis can come. Calls agent. We, we'll name him. He knows what to do. He's been down here yeah, before, yeah. right? You know, we ain't got to, we ain't got to, they don't, I feel like they prioritize not having to give somebody the, the, the introduction speech again, right? They don't want to have to send the packet out or, yeah. or uh, walk the, somebody through. They're just like, hey man, he's been here before. Let's send him on down. It might be something with the union. I don't know, but it's, <laughs> it is certainly interesting because we do see those names that pop up on here and we're like, oh, they made the Pro Bowl. It was like, yeah, we know how they actually but it's off moral, moral of the story is the NFL Pro Bowl remains a joke. We are going to take a break and come back and we're going to break through, uh, pretty much break down every and go through every DB that played the, on the field that mattered this year with our usual three levels of analysis and kind of look forward with some key burning questions I think that matter uh, to the DB room. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. We'll hit on safety first. So this group has some key questions. And within like looking, actually, I do this every pod. I go ahead. I get ahead of myself. The the, the collective defensive back room this year, um, you know, it's hard because you can't look at just passing EPA, pass defense EPA. You can't look at. There's not a real way to singularly quantify this because linebacker coverage plays into like coverage grades and EPA stuff. And it all matters. Um, I would say off the rip, just your general thought, Quincy, do you think that this coverage unit between the safeties and corners was, was below what we expected of uh, at what we expected them to be this year or above it? Um, I don't think above is in play, but I do think you could give me a solid, any of the other two what do you what do you think oh i think they were below it i think the expectations were very high for this secondary and i don't think they were a bad secondary they certainly had their moments so like i don't know it depends on which half of the season we're talking about too um but yeah they they, they didn't reach expectations the expectations i mean like nobody not a single person on this defense outside of maybe miles garrett who again had like another career year um 16 sacks like probably at the i think he had like the second highest pro football focus grade of anybody i mean he might be able to claim that he he reached expectations but even then people act like if he don't get like 30 sacks he doesn't reach expectations so i have no idea where people are with that um but the secondary like they didn't disappoint as much as the front seven but they definitely disappointed in some areas right we thought we would get more out of greedy williams we thought we would get more out of aj green we got more out of um Martin Emerson than we thought we would. Denzel Ward wasn't at the at the consistency that we would want him to be. And Greg Newsom was stuck playing the slot, so we didn't really get to see much from him either. So I can't look at that and say, hey, they 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 achieved more than I expected from the offseason. Now, if we're talking about after the Miami game and after the Buffalo game, what the expectations were reset to after that, they did kind of exceed expectations, but that's just because we lowered the bar. Yeah. I think it's fair to say we, we had, as I talked about some of the other, like talking through the D line, like outside of miles, if you, you could say they were at expectations because I thought they were going to be really bad. Like they just, you looked mm-hmm. at them on paper and they're, they're bad. We had really high expectations and I think fittingly so of a third year in a system, many of these guys having shown that they can be excellent players and hoping some would take a leap. And then it went off the rails quickly to your point before and after the Miami game, like the blown coverages that allow Baker Mayfield and his chest thumping army to come back and feel good about themselves. in that week one, the jets blown coverage 
that results in a huge Corey Davis 70-yard touchdown to get them back alive in that game. Um, the Atlanta blown coverage late down toward their own end zone, Atlanta. Um, and I'm trying to think if I'm missing any of the early season stuff. I'm sure there were some other just gnarly blown coverage. It felt like every week we were looking at it and we're like, what, like, what are they? Were there, can, there's too much confusion. So, yeah, I mean, collectively it's below. It, it's way below because we, again, if you go back and shift your thought process to what was going on before the season, we were all thinking this defense would be elite and give them a real chance to just hang around until Deshaun came back. And it couldn't have been more the antithesis of what actually ended up happening because we all know what happened to the defense early where the offense was the surprise. Then the offense floundered late. Such a weird year. So below, I think, is a very fair answer. Player by player, if you start with John Johnson, obviously the leading snap guy in the secondary, uh, 1,056 total snaps. He actually ends up putting together a worse grade. And some, and again, pro football focus is not the end-all, be-all with grading and your thought, but it does cultivate some discussion. And I like to think to myself from watching, did I think this grade was fitting? You know, I can tell if it's far off, but I thought John was a little worse than last year. I mean, he had some games, especially that Atlanta and the Chargers game were some of his worst graded games. He had four games uh, under four, uh, 50 uh, game grade overall. He only had one game over two, sorry, two games over 70 game grade overall. It's um, two years into this contract in Cleveland. It ha- he's got a decision sort of surrounding him. His coverage metrics remain the same this year, but his missed tackles went from seven last year up to 17 this year. Now, he made more tackles, which is probably a bigger byproduct of the way the defense <laughs> floundered collectively this year, but he missed 17 of them. He did not have the ball production he did last year where he had three interceptions and two pass breakups. And collectively, the grades have gone down. So, I I mean, again, we were expecting John when he was signed from L.A. And some of it is usage, which I talked about on your show. I'm not totally blaming John for everything here. But I think it's just the experience through two years has been a little bit the Browns' fault, a little bit John's fault. But it's been a below below expectation experience. What do you think? Yeah, the tackling stuff, right? That's the biggest concern because you can convince me for a lot of the issues John Johnson had. It was in Cleveland the last couple of years. I feel like he was misused more than anything. I mean, you look at his free safety snaps um, on PFF. They go from what was a pretty even split between, you know, free safety, slot and box uh, snaps um, in L.A., to all of a sudden 600 snaps um, are are being had at free safety versus like 100 in the slot and only 200 in the box. So he was primarily a free safety here. And I don't know if that fits his skill set, but the tackling stuff worries me because this is a guy who's been a short tackler for pretty much his whole career. He had the one down year in 2019 for whatever reason. I do think that was a coordinator change after that, and he was fine afterwards. Yeah, he also dealt with some early injuries, and then he ended up going out for the rest of the year. So, yeah, it was an injury issue there, but yeah. Even last year, he was a short tackler, right? Like, he wasn't a bad tackler last year. So, um, I think a lot of that had to do, I mean, we kind of talked about it earlier, right? execution creates energy energy is what separates a missed tackle from a made tackle right um and i don't feel like he loved what he was asked to do in this defense and the question is going to be for him and for him to return what's jim schwartz's plan 
right? Does he want to use John Johnson in the way that he was used in LA? If that's the case, I think you can make the argument to keep him. Um, if it's anything other than that, or we're going to try John Johnson out of something new, I think he's, I think he's, uh, I think he's past the learning, trying to play a different style or learn something new. I think he wants to go back to what he used to do, um, yeah. and do well. And I think you'll get the most out of him if you do that. If you don't, if you don't plan on doing that, then you're going to have to move on from him. Yeah, big shrug of the shoulders and what's the point? Because I've had this issue. I mean, you cannot watch the way the Rams used him and watch how Cleveland has used him and say it's anywhere in the same realm. It's not. Mm-hmm. There's just there's no arguing it. And I would love to peel either Andrew Barry's opinion back on it or Joe Woods, who who's probably I, I I continue to think Marcus Williams was who they want. They wanted a different safety and they fell back into John Johnson and hoped he could do those things they wanted him to do. He started to have some breakthroughs at the end of 21, but 22 just, it just fell apart for him in a lot of ways. Not that he was the league's worst safety. I'm not saying that he certainly was around the the low middle, but again, like they, they weren't, they're paying him too handsomely. And that's where you start to get in a pickle. And we'll talk a little bit more about that payment here in just a minute. Grant Delpit is the next one. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. He was like one. So he was like top five of the safety category in PFF in LA uh, his last year. And yeah. now he's at 57, you know, like it, it's, he's dropped from, he's like kind of a middle of the pack safety right now. And I think that's, that screams to me use usage, uh, misuse of him. Yeah. So that's, that's the big question of why they decided to do this change for him, paying him to do Like when I wrote up my original, I was so excited when they got him. I wrote it up a really detailed film room of like, look at all this stuff he can do. And then they haven't done any of it. Now you look at Grant. Grant is getting that 429 box snap, 441 free safety, 155 slot. He's being used in the Mm -hmm. past versions of Joe's defense the way John was. Now, again, the question is, do you try to just, hey, what do we do? We flip these guys. Do we do we turn that around? I don't know what the answer is. And maybe that that's one way John stays. Grant has been okay. I mean, he's relatively, if you look at pro football focus, is grading is an amazing consistency. 63.3 last year and 63.6 this year uh, improved a bit in tackling uh, where his missed tackle percentage went down from 14% down to 10.5%. The coverage stuff was pretty similar for them. He actually had a lot more ball production this year with five pass breakups, four picks. So that's the stuff you like to see. I thought as the year wore on, he closed with several games that were, uh, that were really strong. He struggled out of the gate, the Carolina New York jets game, Pittsburgh game weren't great. And then started to really figure it out. Um, and I think we can all agree flashed a lot more of the things that we want to see from him, uh, over the course, especially that Washington game week 17, where he was just really tracking the ball so well, middle of the field which is kind of why i go back to maybe they the schwartz is going to come in and just say hey let's flip these two guys because grant's certainly a better athlete than john like there's no it's not even a debatable thing so maybe there's that element but i I thought grant was again year two back from an achilles tear is when every guy who's ever had it says that's when you start to feel normal i thought you started to see him hit his stride middle of the year and i think he ended up being about what i expected him to be by the year after flirting with being like you know, everybody wanted to cut him after that New England game, like uh, people going crazy. I thought he really started to turn it on, and I would say he fits an ad expectation level for me personally. What do you th- What do you think? Yeah, the, th- the Grant Delpit 
like when you think of Grant Delpit, I think a lot of people have a different idea of what he's actually produced. Um, he's one of the better run defenders, oddly enough, on this team. Like if you go back to like his pre-draft stuff and what people thought he was and was not going to be good at, mm-hmm. um, you know, the run defending has really been where he has shined um, throughout uh, his, especially this year. Because I remember at one point I made, I think I made the comment to you or somebody else, where it's like every time a run gets stopped, it's like either it's it's Grant Delpit that's like that's making the play. Sometimes he misses. But, like, they had to make throw so many just wild shots out there to make up for some of the D-tackle play that that's just going to happen. But I felt mm-hmm. like he was a pretty solid run defender. I don't know how him and, and John Johnson can coexist if you're getting – if you're trying to get the most out of John Johnson. Um, and the other thing with Grant is, boy, when he works, when he clicks at that free safety spot and he he's able to do some of that coverage stuff, he's great. Like, I mean, not, I don't want to say great, but he he – it's intoxicating when you see him do it, right? That Washington game, right? Yeah. Well, he he led, I should say to back up your point, he led all safeties and run defense stop tackles, which are those stop tackles, pro football focuses charts is like tackles that constitute a failure. So they're near the line of scrimmage, right? Like he he led the lead. Now, again, some of that is the Browns, linebackers, and it's like the front guys. Fitzpatrick yeah. was like leading the Steelers in tackles last <laughs> right. year. It's like, yeah, there's right. a problem, right? Like, right. I mean, right. <laughs> but like Tulano Hafanga is fifth, and he had a he was all pro for the 49ers. Mm-hmm. So it's not unheard of. But yeah, I mean, he's getting a little more opportunity here than than others are. But yeah, he's a nice, he's a really nice run game support guy falling into fits when they bring him down in the box from, mm-hmm. from that strong. But it's like the, I, I almost feel like it's a very much a copy paste situation with those two, right? Yeah. And what the and the thing I want to figure out with Grant Delpit is like, what is he consistently good at? Right. Because like mm-hmm. it's like every year we talk about Grant Delpit. Well, the last two years we're it's like we're breaking down a different player because like, oh, he's good at this and he did this well. And then the next season comes around and maybe he doesn't do what he did last year well, but he does these things well. And it's like I, I that's the one thing I struggle and why I'm more hesitant to get rid of a guy like John Johnson because it's like I don't trust what Grant Delpit is good at yet because I haven't seen him do those things consistently long enough. Like it's always been in spurts. And my question with you is, Hey, do you think Grant's leaning on a, he's a young player putting it together. He missed his rookie year. So this is really just his second year. Is it that that's going on? Or, you know, a lot of times players are just inconsistent and they're just going to be what they're going to be, which is an inconsistent player that can show you some flashes every now and then, but they're going to give you inconsistent levels of play. I'm with that. I think there's the the decision. Everyone thinks they're just going to cut John Johnson and they could, right? Like the only other one left to talk about is Ronnie Harrison, which we is below expectation. We don't need to waste our time on it. He played, he was a dime backer. His usage has gone down in three years when he's been healthy. He only had 259 snaps. Grades are in the 40s. The he clocked out. I don't know, man. I, I have no, I, I mean, I Why feel like they that? wanted to use him more in that role of creative usage, but they were so bad at communicating. Like they didn't get into as many past situations. Like I think that their general thought this year was we're going to get a bunch of leads and we're going to play a bunch of DB heavy usage pass coverage because we're playing with leads and it didn't manifest the way they thought. So I, I mean, again, he's going to hit the market. He was, he wasn't very good. I mean, he's, he's ultimately Ronnie's just a jag. They brought him back for very cheap, and they'll move on. The only other guy who got snaps at the safety spot was DeAnthony Bell, which I think has a very good shot of being back next year. He played in five mm-hmm. games. He only really played DeAnthony Bell, only really played in, I think, 
the last two he had some decent snap numbers, Washington and Pittsburgh. And he wasn't very good against Washington where I thought he was out of place a couple times, but much better against Pittsburgh. We ended up with a couple tackles. Um, but but again, we'll see what the Anthony Bells, but they got to raise the basement. Uh, the, 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 the floor of the safety room has to go up a little bit more. And, and, and maybe this is like John and Grant is not a bad floor. And maybe they think they need to chase some bigger uh, situation there. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe they need to, to, to take a crack at lifting the ceiling higher and going after someone. But, you know, like like John is due 11. His APY is 11.25, which is right below um, some some guys that are really good, like Justin Reed, uh, Amani Hooker. Um, but it's out in front of like some guys who are going to be free agents. I think Jordan Poyer is going to be a free agent. You know, I think uh, Jesse Bates made more on an APY basis last year. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So John is, again, uh, I'm not perfect with salary stuff here um, to be honest, but he's going to carry a cap number into 23 of 13.5. So there's a way you can move off of him after the post June one scenario, but I don't know. It's a matter of what people want to do, what they what they care about most. And I think we're going to get a big tell as he's going to be 28 next year. What this, you know, what can they fix with the assets they have? And a lot of people are like, well, you know, with with the with the structure of what Jim Schwartz does, you need a post safety, and that's a position they need to solve. And maybe it is, and maybe they'll use assets there. But I think you and I could agree that like we need to see them get more dynamic and create more explosive pass plays. So that means another wide receiver that matters. You got to go fix D tackle, and at minimum, when I talk to Brad Ward yesterday, that means two DTs and and an edge that matter because if you're counting on any D lineman as a rookie to come in and matter, like good luck, unless you get them in the top 15, you can't really bank on that. So there's just a lot here. And we'll look at the 23 safety outlook. Like what do you, what way do you think this goes? Because it's, it's, it's easy to, again, it's easy to me to sit here and say, well, we'll just cut John Johnson and find a different answer. But it's not that simple. Like here's your free safety or not free, but any safety that are available in free agency, Jesse Bates, Jonathan Abram, who again, fell out of favor in Las Vegas and he's not anything worthwhile. Jordan Poyer, Adrian Amos from green Bay, Devin McCourty, Jimmy Ward for the 49ers, Marcus Joyner, Terrell Edmonds, Andrew Wingard, AJ Moore. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's kind of all over the place. I mean, you can like Jesse Bates is going to get some real money. And he said today, you know, I can't leave 10 million on the table. So it's not like he's trying to go anywhere for cheap, but Mm how, how, I guess my question, Quincy is how invested do you think they need to be to figure out another safety? Or is it just a, we'll run it back and we think we can get by for another year. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the big question, right? Is do you think you can get creative with what you have already in the room and figure out some solutions where you're not going to get top of the league safety play, but you can get, league average safety play out of the position i tend to think and the more i think about this i'm leaning towards they can probably figure it out with what they got already um you know grant delpit um and then you keep john johnson because the also the problem with like cutting john johnson is like it only makes sense if you could sign somebody for like i think you would save nine million so unless you could sign somebody for less than nine million dollars to play free safety for you which i think tyron matthew came in at like eight point something last year but he's older and was coming back home so i don't know how much of a, a factor that made in it um but unless you could do that it really doesn't save you anything and i think you can get more 
of an upgrade of play if you just put John Johnson in the right position to be successful um, in that safety room. And then you build around that, right? You, you re- not build, but rearrange around that. Okay, well, then we'll do move Grant here. And maybe we use DeAnthony Bell or or somebody in, in, in a different situation. Or maybe we keep our eye out for, you know, not the low-level waiver wire guys, but the guys that are kind of like always second, third team, um, you know, the day six of free agency guys to kind of raise the floor in the room a little bit. You know, um, I think Eric Murray is somebody else who's available, who's been here before, who could be like, you know, a safety valve kind of piece where it's like, hey, if everything goes wrong, we put them in there at free. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that's more or less where we're going to be leaning towards. Um and I honestly, to be honest with you, Jake, I think a lot of the defensive work is going to be reclamation projects where it's like, hey, we're going to we're going to try to see if we ask Jordan Elliott to do these two things, if he could do it well or Perry on one free. We're just going to ask him to do these three things um, and see if we can get better overall play by just asking these guys to do things that they feel like better fit them. I think that's going to be a lot of the changes that happen on defense. I don't know if like a big name is there for the defense. Um, but I, I think that's more or less what it looks like. It looks more like a restructure because this defense is already expensive. I mean, this roster is expensive. Um, it so is. at some point you have to figure out, okay, if we're firing the coordinator on this side of the ball, it's not because we felt like the cards were bad. It's felt like it's because we felt like they were played bad. Um, so you got to figure out how to reshuffle that deck. Yeah, there's again, there's some low levels t- to your point that that could come in and play a little bit. Like I'm very interested in Geno Stone, former mm-hmm. Iowa guy, liked out of the draft. Juan Thornhill, what what do they do with him in Kansas City, a team that's up against the wall and cap? And I think Thornhill's a fun a fun potential option. There are guys out there. Rodney McLeod again is just a role player type. His long connection to Schwartz back in his Philly days. Now Rodney's 33, going on 34, but that's a veteran leadership. You know, we can talk about culture changer. You know, for you uh, that I, I listen. Those are just names that are connected. We'll see what they do. There's just um, there's not a, a bunch of people here who are game changers like the Jesse Bates sweepstake. Is he's going to get paid? Someone's going to pay him real money, and I don't. I just don't know if that's the wisest. The same with the Dayron Payne discussion um, about dumping a lot of assets into one singular player for them when they need to to spread the assets out a little bit. So mm-hmm. that's safety uh, corner. I mean, co- corner collectively is below below what we hoped. We we talked about it from the group. I mean, Denzel's your starter at the top of this. Where I mean, the, I think Denzel had moments this year, especially the fifth week, 15, 16, 17 stretch where I thought he played really well. And he had the Atlanta game where I thought he played really well, but there was just something off. I don't know if the ankle thing lingered into the year that he had in the offseason. Uh, I'm willing to write this off as an outlier because he's been pretty consistently graded and I've agreed with it, but he gave up his most yards uh, ever in a season, despite having his lowest number of snaps. Um, you know, that's, that's concerning. He gave up three touchdowns. He did have three interceptions, seven pass breakups. So some of the ball production was there, but I think we could agree that, as far as being in the right play, like he just felt like he was beating coverage more than I can remember recently. And that that's concerning to me. And they need him to be again. They're paying him handsomely. They need him to be really good. And and if he's not going to become an elite guy, which I thought he had a real chance to jump into that category and still does one year doesn't define him here. But 
I think it's safe to say this year was below and they need him to be a lot better, man. Like a lot. They need him to be the guy they're paying him to be, which is, hey, we're going to stick you on either the number two guy and bracket their number one guy, not have to worry about their number two or, um, you know, the, the contrary, which is we think you can take away a number one. Like they need to get something right there as far as with get him back on the right path. I would love to know the conversations Jeff Howard had with Jim Schwartz to keep his job. Um, because it, we, we talked about Jeff Howard, right? Somebody's like, uh, we don't know if he's going to stay. The secondary play was like pretty, but then Jim Schwartz comes in. He, he retains him. If correct me if I'm wrong, but he did retain Jeff Howard, right? I don't know what they're doing with the staff. I haven't heard anything. I have not heard yeah. Jim. I've heard that a couple guys have interviewed in places that lack of chatter or anything definitive around the staff is kind of concerning to me. I mean, not concerning, but like it's sort of strange, at least to me a little bit. Yeah, it, it is strange. Like, like, I don't think one coach has been like reassigned or maybe it's one of those things because like Jim Schwartz is just like an older coach, like an older guy. Um, and he just has like all these agreements in place with guys and you got to wait for certain dominoes to fall in order to announce them. Sometimes things happen like that, but it, it's going to be interesting how the staff, staff strikes out underneath it. Um, but yeah, with Denzel Ward and yeah, again, it's the story of the defense where it's like, you look at Greg Newsom and you're like, ah, I feel like I know what they were trying to do there with, with putting him in the slot. Um, don't know if that was a great move for him. I don't know if that ended up being a fit for him, right? Yeah. Um, Denzel Ward, you know, he gets – I don't know what happens between him and John Johnson, but, like, it's happened more than, like, a couple of times where you watch a tape and you're like, well, something happened between one of those, both of them. You know, like, they, like it, they're clearly the two that have miscommunicated with each other. What that miscommunication was specifically, I have no idea. But there was something that went down wrong between both of them. I think it even happened in the last game against Pittsburgh where John Johnson comes down and lets George Pickens right through. Um, and it's like, what, what's going on between those two and they're being asked to do? And it just felt like I know he had the foot injury um, before the yeah. season started. And I wonder if that affected him. Um, and then also I think some of the factors were like, he just wasn't having the success because of that foot injury. So the confidence wasn't there. The energy wasn't there. The execution wasn't there. Um, so he just had a down year and he'll be back up once he's healthy next year. But again, this is Denzel Ward health is relative for him, right? So he's not necessarily had the greatest track record of staying on the field, albeit it's overblown. You know, yeah. some people act like he like barely plays a game every year. Like he's like prime Percy Harvin. Like he plays, he just misses <laughs> one or two games yeah. every year. Um, you know, so that that was a bit of a disappointment. Martin Emerson being really, well, being pretty good his rookie year from the third round was something I think that changed a lot of people's perspective about the secondary because I don't think it was as negative as a overall because people were like, hey, well, at least Martin Emerson's good. Um, I don't know. I don't know how those three coexist going forward um, because they're all three outside corners. Point. Like Martin Emerson, I don't, I, I, I don't want him inside, right? Because like I, you see the length there and some people say you should put him inside, but I also see like the hips and I don't think he moves great. Too tight. Comes, yeah. Yeah. Too tight. Um, and then you can really like break him out long out the middle. And I've, I've seen Devontae Smith do nasty things to him in inside um, mm -hmm. at Alabama. So I would worry about that, but it's like, you have three outside corners and how often are you going to be playing three outside corners in this defense? I don't know. 
Um, so you got to figure out how these three are going to be able to coexist and, and be able to do what they do well, right? That's the one thing. When we talk about coordinators putting players in position to do things well, you also have to figure out, is there room for all of these guys to do all of the things that they do well, well on this team? Because sometimes it's just not. The thing that I look at with this, with this group is, and you're, you're nailing it um, from, from like Martin Emerson, I think we could say was over expectation. He comes in third round rookie. Wasn't I wouldn't expect him to see him play much plays really well, ends up with a 75.1 coverage grade redrafted in the first round. And a lot of people who redrafted these things and ends up with nine pass breakups matter of time before he starts turning some of those into interceptions. I think he's a really fine um, field corner and what i mean by field is wide side of the field mm -hmm. and he can do some zone stuff he can get in your face press man run with you i like him i don't like him as a quick twitch boundary guy who needs to be able to you know you know ball can get there quicker you got to be twitchier right so like i don't love that for him and to your point i don't love him inside so he's very specific to a role but the thing is they're loaded up now greg newsome again playing the slot last year if you look at it, last year he played 102 slot snaps. This year he played 374. They moved Troy Hill, and the plan for moving off Troy Hill was clearly to move Greg Newsom inside. And if you look at it as the season wore on, I just started to watch it. And there were some good games from him, but I could just tell he was tired of tackling. Like this guy, he was so tired of being in the run fit. It could, it was just wearing on him, man. Like, again, the numbers aren't that bad in terms of missed tackles, but I could just tell, like, Hey, if I could dip out of this one and eh, go underneath this block, not a big deal. Like there were some business decisions made and, and he even tweeted out after the year, like at that week, week 18 game where he played, he played a lot of snaps um, uh, outside in that one at corner. He played 59 snaps outside as opposed to only five inside, which is a stark contrast from his entire season. Mm -hmm. Numbers wise, he was like, he had retweeted something about being outside. He wants to be outside. So you got three guys there and we, you know, we talked about, Greg and and, Den, and and Denzel were under and, and Newsom overperformed and we don't have to waste time really on Greedy. Greedy played 105 snaps this year. He's turned into what's been a disappointing second round pick, which was a real bummer. Uh, we probably should have known this was the outcome that was going to happen. He's going to hit free agency. When his shoulder went to being what his shoulder turned into, you just kind of knew where it was going with Greedy. He had a little bit of a bounce back last year, but fell off again this year. And it seems like the injury stuff, his career, it wouldn't be surprising if his career was close to being done aj green was a guy we thought maybe step forward this year he only had a he did he kind of hovered in the same amount of snaps and was not as effective when he was on the field as he was in years past so i think he's a below expectation guy but again that's just anytime it's 105 coverage snaps it's not enough to really judge wholeheartedly but the three core are the three core okay aj can be a surrounding piece we'll see what they do they'll probably draft another corner i think in most mocks i think they're going to draft a mid to late round corner again to continue to usher in rookie contracts to that. But it's the question of all questions. When you look at the cornerback position in 23 is what are you doing? Are you taking mm -hmm. all three into the year? Are you signing a slot, a true slot or drafting a true slot? And if you get the opportunity to move off of one of these young talented corners to upgrade at wide receiver or to upgrade at safety, even do you do that? Are you using this room as what? And here's what I'll say. And I'll let you answer. I think it's one of the few positions of strength that they should look to get. They don't have a lot of these opportunities. People thought the running back room would eventually in the last few years be one that they could cap. They didn't get anything out of it. It was overblown. But I think these three young corners, one of them can be moved, probably one of Greg or Martin to give them a position boost somewhere else. And when you're limited on your assets between the with salary cap 
and mm-hmm. draft top end draft talent. I think they really need to consider this as an option to get better at places they clearly need to get better. So I'm not tied to Greg or Martin, and I hope that they do use one of them. And I know injuries, and you, you know, you you need young players to come and step up. I don't want to go into a year and be like, well, man, I'm glad we got our third outside corner, 150 snaps, man. Hell yeah, I need to hold on him. Couldn't have used Elijah Moore, that guy, you know, whatever, you know, couldn't couldn't use a better receiver, young receiver. We got that backup corner we held on to. And it's like, I just need them to deal from that position of strength. But if you think I'm wrong and they need to hold on to him, feel free to let me know about it. Now, see, one of the interesting things you brought up, right, was the whole Greg Newsom, just the fatigue of playing uh, that ins- that that nickel corner position. And it's one of those positions where, like, hey, if you look at it like Madden, it, it seems like a really easy position to fill. Um, and if you look at it just numbers, it seems like an easy move. But this is one of those things where the people things matter. And the, the, the truth is, is that nobody who can play outside corner wants to be inside all the time, right? Like nobody who there, there's a reason sure. why the players that usually fill that role undrafted guys, they just can't play outside. You know what I mean? So this is what they have to do to stay in the league. Yeah, um, there's not really. Yeah, you know, like the Mike Hiltons of the world, right? These aren't like top draft picks that have unlimited potential. These are dudes who figured out it's kind of like special teams in that way, where it's like they play this position and they put themselves through that because this is what they have to do to stay in the league. And that's really the motivation that's going to put you through it. Like the Rams tried to put Jalen Ramsey out there. It worked for a little bit. But, I mean, look what it's done to Jalen Ramsey now. We're like, we don't even talk about him like he's elite anymore. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's one of those things where I think we try to get real smart about it. And this might be one of those things where it's like, Hey, there's a reason why this position has been traditionally filled by like late round draft picks or dudes trying to make the roster because there's a level of want to about it that if you don't got to, you ain't going to have to want to. And the want to is really important at that position, right? Cause it's a lot of just banging all the time down there for somebody who's genuinely undersized um like mj stewart i thought he played well um in 2021 in that role and he was a dude who was a second round pick but was also bouncing around camps for a while he just decided that's gonna be his lane troy hill undrafted you go down a list of all these like good nickel cornerbacks they're usually dudes who have to play inside you know not guys who could play outside even though troy hill has played some decently outside too i want to give him credit for that but yeah, yeah, I think that's one of those things there. And then when it comes to getting rid of one of them, I feel like everybody has like kind of determined we're just going to move off Greg Newsom. Oh, <laughs> I would much rather give up Martin Emerson than yeah, Greg Newsom, in my opinion, because I feel like Greg Newsom, you know, I, I don't feel like you run into the same issues or limitations with Greg Newsom that you're going to run into Martin. Martin's real nice because he's physical. People love physical football players. Um, and Martin's really good against the type of wide receivers that Denzel Ward stinks against, which is something um, because like you look at like Mike, Mike Williams, right? That's who Denzel Ward gets eaten up by every time he sees college pros. It's happened. Um, That's who they were able to put on him. That kind of like shut him down in the fourth quarter enough to where they could get the ball back and have a chance to win that game. Mm -hmm. Uh, But is somebody being there to fill in the gaps of your best corner and highest paid corner worth it 
versus what you could potentially get. And this isn't like running back where I've had this conversation every summer where people are like, can't we trade our third running back for this? I'm like, no, nobody wants your third running back, no matter how good he is. Nobody wants your third running back because they feel like if your third running back's good, I can get somebody that's good off the street. That's just how the position is valued. My um, favorite thing is I think this guy sucks. I want to <laughs> trade him. It's the Jed Wills thing. I want to name yeah, it the Jed Wills paradigm. You think Jed Wills sucks. So, let's so get you want to trade him, but you think you're smarter than all these other evaluators who may think he sucks and like you're going to get something back for him. Like, yeah. OK, let's come on, man. Like, I, but I do think they really are in position here that to your point, what you're saying is Denzel, Greg and Martin have real ways to be effective in the league. And you would be losing a talented player. Right. Mm-hmm. You're, there's no doubt about that. But to get something of value, you usually have to give up something of value. Yeah. And I think it's on the table, man. Like, a I trade, see your point. Go ahead. Trading a player should never be an easy conversation. It has to be an awkward one because you have to be trading a player that people like. like yeah. You yeah. know, the, the, the trade conversations that are actually worthwhile are the ones that people hate to have. Right. You know, um, whether it's somebody brings up Nick Chubb because Nick Chubb has actual trade value or whether somebody brings up. Um, you know, Martin Emerson or Greg Newsom. Those are the trades that, you know, that that can be made because those are the guys with value. Um, and I think the Browns are in an interesting position where they got a lot of things that they want to fix, not a lot of resources to do it. This might be a way to free up something. It's one to pay attention to. There's two huge decisions, actually three, um, that we don't know what they'll do, but they have to do something. They they need to figure out if there's a long-term answer or at least a short-term window, maximizing window answer at, at nickel. I do not think it is a run it back with Greg thing and it's going to work out. I don't think he wants to do it. So there's a huge decision there. The th- second decision is the safety situation. What they do with John and how they address a guy who can play that post single high center fielder role, somebody they can either bring in, whether they think they can flip-flop John and Grant, or if they just think John can do it, I don't know. I think there's a lot of people who think that there are a lot of rock hard decisions that have already been made. Things are set in stone. And I don't know that to be the case. And then obviously mm-hmm. the lingering final one is dealing from a position of strength at corner when you're, when your assets are sort of limited and trying to maybe go get somebody at wide receiver who can help you um, by giving up something at corner of relevance. So that's uh, those are the three big ones. We'll see. We're early in the outlook process. So obviously over the course of the next three or four months, as those decisions are made, we will react to them. But that is everything you need to know about reviewing 2022 corner and safety play. And then a little bit of social media banter about the weirdness of everything surrounding the takes that come out that people don't think they're right about or they think they're right about. But you're, you're pretty wrong, man. Sometimes when everyone says you're wrong, you might just be wrong. It's okay to say I was wrong. And hopefully we see a change in that. Although I don't oh, think we Jake, will. Quincy. The other people that are also wrong have said i am right therefore i am correct (laughs) that is the law of twitter the the first commandment of twitter you heard it from quincy right there listen man we appreciate you um these always go about double the length i want them to which is uh probably indicative of my lack of planning but here we are i hope we made a good one you guys like it and quincy we enjoy you being here man no problem thank you for having me on for Quincy, for me, for everybody at the OBR, and um, obviously for everything Quincy does, his YouTube channel, continue to check that out, support it. We appreciate you being here. You can find a link to Quincy's YouTube channel in the description of this podcast. Obviously, you should be following him on Twitter. Rectify that if you are not and following him on YouTube and every platform that he puts his stuff because it's fantastic. So make sure you rectify that. If you're not rectified already, appreciate you again. Check out the OBR. Bunch of off-season content. 
rolling mock draft again tomorrow. Going to start doing free agents with an offseason plan around the mock drafts on February 1, which would be tomorrow if you're listening to this on Tuesday, January 31st. Have a great Tuesday, guys. Thanks for being here. Go Browns. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.